Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Last Tuesday's primary elections essentially charted the course for the rest of the 2022 political campaign season. Well, this weekend, I'm going to talk with two of my favorite political analysts about what happened and what's ahead. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guests are two valued colleagues. Andy Shaw was my political partner in analysis for our election night coverage here at WBVM. I guess we can't say partner in crime anymore with politics because there's a lot of crimes being committed in politics these days. But Andy was the president of the Better Government Association for some of the years we've worked together. And before that, he was the longtime political reporter for ABC7 here in Chicago. Heather Sharon is a political reporter for WTTW Channel 11 most often seen on Chicago Tonight. Before that, she was editor of The Daily Line. And before that, she was with the hyper-local news service, DNA Info. And uh, she is one of the true rising stars in Chicago media. So I am glad to have both of them here for this discussion, which we're doing via Zoom conferencing. And uh, thank you both for joining me. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> and it's really a pleasure. Congratulations on TTW, Heather. Uh, now Craig is, the, Craig is the only one in our group who has a face made for radio. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. Uh, well, let's start at the top. Governor J.B. Pritzker, a Democrat, had almost no opposition in the primary, yet he and his allies spent tens of millions of dollars in the primary race. Um, I am going to start with you, Andy. I guess we've been we've seen this kind of thing before Democrats meddling in Republican primaries, but I'm not sure we've ever seen it at this level. This is unprecedented, Craig. And, you know, I read a column uh, in one of the last couple of days, New York Times, by one of my favorite columnists, David Brooks, who's a colleague of Heather's indirectly because he appears on um, the the TTW newscast with Judy Woodruff every Friday night, and he comments. And I'm looking forward to his comments because he expressed disgust, disdain, and abhorrence with the way in which Democrats are meddling in Republican primaries. It's not just Illinois, but this is a national trend. It's a 2022 phenomena writ large, starting with Nancy Pelosi, the House Speaker. And what they've done is they've pumped tens of millions of dollars into Republican primaries on 
on the side of the most conservative candidate. So here in Illinois, Pritzker and the National Governors Association, the Democratic National Governors Association, spent upwards of $30 million trying to help Darren Bailey defeat Richard Irvin, the more moderate candidate and the one they were most fearful of facing in a general election. So the irony is they spent $30 million to trash Irvin and help Bailey. And now a day after the election results are in and Bailey's the winner, they start spending millions more trashing Bailey. And David Brooks' point is that this is un it's unpatriotic, it's reckless, and it's sleazy. You should let each party conduct their primary, elect the voters they want with their money and their supporters, and then have a good showdown in November instead of trying to rig the scales. Let the parties elect their candidates in the usual way with their money and their voters. And I have to tell you, in all honesty, we talked about this election night, Craig. I couldn't agree more. It's certainly legal, but it's sleazy. And if I'm Darren Bailey, I make a big deal out of this in the general election because I think a lot of people don't know this happened and a lot of people would be offended by this kind of meddling and this undemocratic approach. Uh, I'm not sure if Heather agrees, but I really found this abhorrent. Well, it, it's, I think, raises the specter of, you know, uh, uh, be, you know, be careful what you wish for, because it's clear that Governor Pritzker thinks that his bid for re-election will be, would have been, will be easier against Darren Bailey than it would have been against uh, Aurora Mayor Richard Irvin, who ran a more moderate um, campaign and tried to navigate um, the the nominee win the nomination without endorsing President former President Trump or or criticizing him. And I think the question is is that if you believe Darren Bailey is a threat to the rights of Illinois women, the rights of gay and lesbian people who live in Illinois, transgender people who live in Illinois, uh, you have to ask the question: Is is Pritzker doing the right thing for the state as a whole? by elevating Bailey. And he faced these questions in a series of interviews on Thursday. And he said, look, all I did was tell the truth that Darren Bailey, he believes is too conservative for Illinois. And he holds a series of opinions that he thinks are frankly dangerous. And he thought people should know about that, including the fact that he falsely believes that the 2020 election was, was not free and fair. And I mean, I guess he's got a point, but that's a dangerous, dangerous road to navigate um, and is potentially fraught with peril. You know, well, and I... truth, of course, truth, of course, is in the eye of the beholder and Pritzker's out already on the stump talking about all the wonderful things he's done for people and how much money he spent on good causes. And he should mention, and, and Bailey should also remind people that most of this money comes from the federal government in COVID-related bailout dollars. And so when he talks about a balanced budget and getting the state's fiscal house in order and spending hundreds of millions of dollars on education and law enforcement and, and elevating the lives of the poor and downtrodden, um, it has to be pointed out that most of this is one-time revenue from this once-in-a-century pandemic, and it doesn't have any lasting power long-term. Even the tax breaks he imposed and that he that he imposed, and the and the gas gas tax freeze, those things are all made possible by federal dollars and are not necessarily part of the long-term health of Illinois. So let's let's truth squad this on both sides. 
Indeed, but I think you have to remember that voters sometimes have a very short memory and something that is short term, well, it only has to last till November. And, you know, if people are still enjoying the benefits, they go to the polls enjoying the benefits. I think the other story out of uh, this was was how badly uh, that uh, Richard Irvin did. I mean, in some ways, I think his his candidacy was somewhat doomed from the start just because of billionaire Ken Griffin uh, spending, you know, some 50 million dollars to back him up. Uh, the very first thing that Richard Irvin had to do was to say he's not a puppet. And then came the Trump questions and then came the other things. But it was it was going to be a, a tough slog through negative questions uh, from the very beginning, wasn't it? It, it was, and he, I don't think, did himself any favors by at least initially running a campaign in which he did not answer questions from the news media. And I certainly am not a disinterested party on that issue because I think all candidates should take questions all the time whenever I want to ask them. But um, Richard Irvin, uh, you know, launched his campaign with an advertisement that played honestly fast and loose with the truth in the, the wake of the George Floyd um, um, unrests and protests, and he really never took a significant amount of questions from reporters until it was clear that he was trailing Darren Bailey badly. And I think that that was a miscalculation on his campaign's part. But again, I think that, you know, even if um, Richard Irvin had run sort of the perfect campaign, he was going to forever be caught in that sort of crazy middle ground of trying to not criticize the former president, but also to not embrace him because he knew it would hurt in a general election. And I just don't know if that was at all possible, even if you had the perfect candidate running the perfect race. And I don't think even Richard Irvin would make an argument that he was either of those things or did any of that. Yeah, and we talked election night about the fact that Illinois historically supports the Illinois Republican Party historically supports moderates, and they basically cast the extremists to the side. In this election, of course, the arch-conservative Bailey wins, but Irvin was not really your typical moderate Republican in the mold of Jim Edgar and Jim Thompson and even George Ryan. I mean, an African-American from Aurora whose Republican bona fides are, are dubious at best. Uh, the question was, is he, was, he, was he or is he even a Republican? And so when you don't have that Republican pedigree as a moderate, which he didn't, um, you, you start out with a big disadvantage. But the other thing is Irvin has such a compelling personal story, you know, a single mom, public housing, goes into the service, distinguished record, go first in his family to become a lawyer, you know, prosecutor, and then a mayor of the second largest city. I mean, what a great story. And I think that Ken Griffin, who basically um, batted 0 for 4 in these big races, um, is $50 million. I mean, we could have all used that money a lot more effectively, couldn't we have? But the point is that Irvin had this great personal story, and yet... I think he, he and his folks ran an awful campaign. It wasn't just the questions they didn't answer. It was just the failure to truly send him everywhere to every nook and cranny to tell his story and to tell people why he's the right person. I mean, he ran kind of like a, a, a closet campaign 
among people who were going to be dubious in the first place because he's an African-American in the Republican Party, put it all together. And boy, I mean, he was trounced. And now we have Bailey in the spirit of answering your questions, Heather, immediately telling us he's not going to release his income taxes, um, which is pretty much standard. I mean, Trump is the last major candidate who said no about that. And I think that's going to that's going to hurt him because when he attacks Pritzker for being an out of touch billionaire, people are going to point out that he is probably a multimillionaire from his farm and other business interests. And if he's really going to play the class game against JB, at least let us know what your finances are. So you have credibility when you're when you're putting Pritzker's wealth down. I want to uh, move on to uh, another race that was high profile statewide race, and that's for Secretary of State. And another candidacy or campaign, I think, where things didn't go the way uh, anyone was expecting. And this was uh, a race, first off, with three major candidates in it. Anna Valencia, the uh, city clerk of Chicago versus former state treasurer Alexi Janulius, and then Chicago Alderman David Moore. Uh, I think Anna Valencia expected to force Alexi Janulius to play defense um, and not want to answer questions because of the failure of his family's Broadway bank and alleged loans to, uh, to crime figures. But it ended up with the campaign featuring uh, Anna Valencia playing defense because of uh, her husband being a lobbyist and some blurring of the lines. And that, it, to me, it was a kind of interesting how that race went. It, it was truly fascinating because I think Alexi Janulius was seen as the early front runner. And then he suffered, I think, a significant setback when uh, Secretary of State Jesse White and Governor J.B. Pritzker endorsed Ana Valencia. And then that attention brought a lot of questions about how Valencia has run the city's city clerk's office and how she has handled her husband's role as lobbyist. And it is never a good thing for a candidate to have to amend ethics forms over and over and over again, which is what she had to do. And I think that that meant that she just could never, even with those high profile endorsements, overcome the edge Janulius had in advertising dollars because he was up on television right away and he had a lot of sort of feel good ads, you you know, he was playing basketball, which for everybody in Illinois reminds us of his relationship with former President Barack Obama and how he was sort of part of that whole sort of young, you know, sort of surging. But, you know, there I think there was a reason that Governor Pritzker and, and Jesse White did not endorse Janulius. And we're going to hear a lot about his family's relationship with Broadway Bank and sort of how he dealt with, um, you know, convicted former Governor Rod Blagojevich and his relationship there. And it's not going to be, I think, a slam dunk, even especially because we, you know, everybody assumes that these coming midterms are going to be particularly hard for Democrats, even though it's not clear to me how much that will be felt in Illinois, which of course remains a very, very blue state. And of course, you know, it's very possible that Darren Bailey and his extreme positions, you know, causes a drag on the entire Republican ticket for statewide office. Well, you have to think of Alexi in a broader term. Of course, he lost to Mark Kirk for the U.S. Senate, and Broadway Bank was a significant issue there. Kirk at that time was a very popular, moderate Republican who played well on both sides of the aisle. But remember, Alexi had been the state treasurer. He's a terrific fundraiser. And so in this race, he was able to win dozens of endorsements from county Democratic chairmen and raise millions of dollars quickly. He is 
He has a complicated name, not as complicated as Blagojevich, oh wait, Blagojevich, or however you pronounce it. But Alexei, <laughs> like Rod, was well known in democratic circles around the state from two previous campaigns and a fast start in this one from a fundraising and ground game perspective. I thought Alexei, regardless of those endorsements Valencia got, I thought Alexei would be very hard to beat because he began with a lot of structural advantages. No one outside of small Chicago circles had ever heard the name Anna Valencia. Everyone in the Democratic Party in Illinois knew of, knew of Alexei, and they had elected him once, and they gave him, and they elected him in a primary the second time over David Hoffman. Yes, he lost to Kirk, but he had a pretty successful career, and he was pretty well known, and he got out early with money and, and downstate work, and I think that basically, um, it basically planted the seeds of a very significant broad-based coalition that could withstand those endorsements. So that outcome wasn't a bit surprising. And and I've got to uh, uh, add in that I, I think Heather, is, well, both of you, right? But Heather, this is not a slam dunk. The Republican candidate, uh, Dan Brady, is a respected moderate. Uh, he, is, he definitely had the party's, the, the main party's backing. And yes, he's, he's from Bloomington. And yes, his, one of his big jobs was as a coroner, uh, but he was one of the budgeteers during uh, a lot of the budget talks, uh, is very easy uh, with working with Democrats. Uh, and I think the party itself will try to dirty up Alexi and throw all the Broadway bank stuff at him. And I think Dan Brady uh, has the kind of temperament to run a very respectable and uh, even-handed campaign. And frankly, anybody who meets Dan Brady and talks with him is gonna come away thinking, what a good guy. Well, uh, and <laughs> and let, me, let me build on something we also talked a lot about on election night, Craig, and that is money. And of course, Bailey was aided greatly by that 30 million from Democratic coffers that helped him win his primary, that among other things. But he starts out without a lot of money, Dan Brady, starts out without a lot of money. The Democrats start out with JB, which is billions. And my point is that I think JB will not only spend a couple hundred million on his own race, I think he will probably help all the others in the Democratic Party. We don't yet know what is going to happen on the Republican side. Will Ken Griffin get back in on the side of people he didn't support the first time around? And will he, for the good of the party and his hatred of Pritzker, put a lot more money back into Bailey and Brady and others in hopes that the Republicans can win? Will Dick Uline, the packaging magnet who put a ton of money into Bailey's campaign, will he now double down and put in five times as much to make Bailey competitive? And will he also fund other statewide campaigns like Brady's? And what about the rest of the Republican moneyed establishment? There is a ton of GOP money out there that could not match Pritzker necessarily dollar for dollar, but if a lot of the people who give to Republican candidates nationwide decide to go all in here in Illinois on behalf of some of the higher profile candidates, including Bailey and Brady um, and Kathy Salvi in the U.S. Senate race against Duckworth, um, this could be a very competitive season. And as Heather points out, the, the tailwinds are all on the GOP side right now. Biden's popularity is still low. People feel like the country's heading in the wrong direction. The economy, the inflation, the gas prices, 
um, the Ukraine war, the fallout from Afghanistan, you put all of that together and they can easily be exploited if there's enough money. And so we'll have to see. JB is by no means a shoe in, especially if people are thinking it's time to throw the bums out because, you know, they're all part of this failed party. Yeah, I'll just jump in and say that I, I don't expect Ken Riffin to be a force in November. When he left, his statement was very clear that he was washing his hands of Illinois politics and that he did not intend to support anybody in the general election that he did not support um, in the primary. And I think that that will put more um, pressure on Dick Uline to, to keep funding Darren Bailey's campaign because his contributions both directly to Darren Bailey and to a pack run by Dan Proft, I think proved really decisive. And everybody will be watching to see whether um, the Uline fortune is, is happy to keep supporting Darren Bailey against um, J.B. Pritzker, especially at a time when they are also very involved in national Republican politics and Wisconsin politics. Let's remember that there is going to be a very hard fought Senate race um, with Ron Johnson and whoever the eventual Democratic nominee is there. So it could be that the U-Lines find their attentions a little bit diverted. Um, and that, I think, is one of the main questions that I'm looking to answer as we sort of move into the, the fall and the, the post-Labor Day um, general election. Well, that's really, that's really significant. Can I just say one sure. thing, Heather, that's very significant because historically, Illinois Republicans have put much more money into the national congressional and Senate campaigns and presidential contests when they felt that it would be wasted in Illinois. So they they do their calculation and decide, can you beat a Pritzker? Can you beat a Janulius? Can you beat a Tammy Duckworth? Can you make inroads in the Illinois House and Senate? Uh, so when when the folks like Dick Duchessois and Ron Gidwitz and a lot of the other Republican moneyed folks who've contributed millions over the years, their decision is going to be critical along with Uline's. And of course, Uline's company is now across the border in Wisconsin. And so he's got to care a lot about that Senate race and, and other races up there. So you're absolutely right. Um, and as we said, that's the money question. We know JB and the Dems will have the dollars. Will Bailey and the rest of that ticket have the dollars? You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. We're looking at this fascinating political season with WTTW Channel 11 political reporter Heather Sharon and WBBM political analyst and former Better Government Association President Andy Shaw, who is best known for his years on Channel 7. I guess I, with the time we have left, I, maybe we could each or you could each pick one congressional race you think... Uh, uh, either fascinated you or puzzled you or whatever. And uh, Heather, you go first. So um, I was following the third district race very, very closely. And that is a newly created district. It was drawn by the General Assembly to enhance Latino political power in Chicago and the suburbs. And that was really a race between Delia Ramirez, who is a progressive state representative who had the endorsement of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and the support of progressive organizing communities in Chicago centered on the Northwest side versus Alderman Gilbert Villegas, who is a more moderate Democrat, still progressive, but not quite as left as Ramirez was. And Ramirez was just 
pilloried with attacks about her support for defund the police. And she faced mailers calling her defundelia and just faced all sorts of attacks on those grounds, on criminal justice reform ground. And she demolished Gilbert Villegas. She won two thirds of the votes. She led from the very first vote counted to the very last votes counted. And that is fascinating to me because we have been hearing for months, if not years, it feels like about how toxic that whole defund the police um, slogan was and how if people endorsed that they could not be elected. And I think that her race, along with the down ticket effect she had on a number of progressive candidates in the state house and the county and um, in the state senate, I think that is going to make people rethink sort of what those issues are all about. And that was truly a fascinating race and a fascinating outcome. Right. And two outcomes surprised me, not necessarily win or lose, but the but the but the extent of the victories. I was a little shocked to see Sean Caston double down on Marie Newman, who what who was the progressive candidate that went against the grain of the Democratic primary, where progressives tended to do better. I know Caston probably had a lot of sympathy because of the tragic loss of his of his daughter a couple of weeks before the election, but I was a little surprised to see him beat her two to one. I was also a little surprised to see um you know, Mary Miller's convincing victory over Rodney Davis downstate. Davis, long-term, very popular, um, moderately conservative Republican, trashed by, by Miller, who had been very controversial for a lot of the things she said. She, of course, had the Trump endorsement. I thought Miller, I thought that um, Davis could survive that. And I thought that uh, Newman would do a lot better. And I know, don't know how much time we have left, but we won't talk about this at length, but I will say, but one thing I'm looking at in November that's really critical is the Supreme Court races, which, as we said Tuesday night, if the Republicans were to win the two open seats, that would flip the court to 4-3 Republican. It's now 4-3 Democrat. And that means that the issues the court blocked over the years in support of Mike Madigan and the Democratic Party, like redistricting reform and term limits and pension reform and ethics reform, those are all the sorts of things that could easily survive court challenges with a Republican majority if legislation or petition drives made it that far. And I think that could change Illinois for decades if that were to happen. Long shot that they win both, long shot that all these issues get to them in, in unencumbered form, but I'm going to watch that closely. And I think anyone who is reform-minded, as I was in all those BGA years, has to look at that and think, that's an, those are important races, even if they're even if you don't know the names of the candidates. Uh, you know, l let me bring up one other thing with him. We only have about a maybe a minute and a half. Uh, but the, the U.S. Supreme Court, how much of a factor do you think the uh, the court's decisions in the last week are going to have on motivating people and bringing people out to the polls, overturning Roe v. Wade? got people riled up. Limiting restrictions on concealed carry got people riled up. Limiting the EPA's power to regulate emissions got riled, people riled up. Heather, are you, do you think the Supreme Court's gonna be bringing people out to vote? Heather, so what, chop liver? 
<laughs> so I think it's really hard to predict turnout in a midterm election like this because it's really a ground game who can get their people to the polls who doesn't get their people to the polls but the confluence of all of these decisions will give Democrats a clear argument to make to their voters that if they are angry and there are many many people who are are, are deeply, deeply angry and frustrated about this. They will have an argument to make to say, channel that anger and frustration into this vote, go vote. Don't let these down ballot races like the Supreme Court races go unnoticed because that's where real power holds. Now, you know, it is the end of June, right? Or I guess it's July 1st and yeah. the election is in November. It seems an eternity between now and then. So it's impossible to know if people will still be as angry as they are now, then I think that will be, you know, the $64,000 question for Democrats and will determine whether we are going to see an election that is a, a red wave, so to speak, whether the, whether the GOP takes control of the House and the Senate um, and, you know, Know, that that is going to be the whole ball game. Well, I think it's the One culture minute, wars. It's the culture wars which JB will fight fiercely on guns and abortion and women's rights and and sexual orientation rights and all of those things. Charters, you know, charter schools and vouchers and everything. Those will be the cultural issues JB hammers away on. And on the other side, there'll be the class warfare where. Bailey will basically say he's an out of touch billionaire who's not like any of us. And it's time to elect somebody who's a little more folksy, a little more homey and a little more like, like Illinois folks. So it should be fascinating from those two regards. And as we said, um, the big question, will Bailey have the dollars? We know JB and the Dems will. And we will come back in November to talk about all of this, and we'll be working all of this uh, for the next uh, several months. I'd like to thank political analyst Andy Shaw and WTTW political reporter Heather Sharon for spending the half hour with us. To our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. And there's a link on the homepage. You could also find our podcasts on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, 105.9 WBBM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.